There he is. Oh, where have I got ya? Got your loud comms check now. Got ya, big dog. Oh, yes, there it is. What's happening, my man? Looking fresh today, as always. <laughs> you too. It looks cold down there. A little bit chilly this morning. I, um, it's funny, I don't. When people say, like, like, are you cold or cold? I'm so obsessed with perception. I don't want to say that it's cold because I'm not sure what your cold is and I don't want to change your perception of what cold is. <laughs> it's like when, and when someone says, um, like, a lot, uh, like, oh, that's a lot of money or that's expensive. It's like I can comment on it um, for me, but I'm like, I'm not sure what your expensive is or what your a lot is and I don't want to change your perception. But, um yeah, it's a nice, cool morning here this morning. <laughs> um, how, so, how's life, dude? Dude, it is. It's abundant. Yeah, it is abundant. Yep, and I'm open to receiving all of it. Yeah, so good, man. And um, it's pretty exciting that we've got um, got our first little chat up um, live now, which people can sort of go back and listen to. And yeah, I think it's really cool. I was actually thinking about this the other day, right? And I was thinking about how cool it was, even. It, it doesn't really mean anything to anyone else at this stage, but like even just for you and I, right, to be able to have, it's like a time capsule because like that'll never go anywhere. Like that's there forever. And like our kids will be able to do that and someone can Google your name or my name or something and, and, and land on that like in the future when we're dead, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's part of the legacy, man. And yeah. like reading the blurb when I went back in and had a look, I was just like, I had to stop and be present with the energy of what was being said because I was just like, holy shit. Like, yeah, from DMs to, to this, yeah. like, it's amazing. Yeah. It is, dude, 100%. And, um, and I think that um, and because it was ultimately the run that brought us both together initially, right, because I was doing like I was doing a run of my own and you would, and that was why I was drawn to you. I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's like doing something crazy as well. And then I went down that rabbit hole of you and, and I just followed that along. So I don't think that I would have been, well, I know for sure, actually, like I wouldn't have been in a position to be able to um, connect with you uh, emotionally, like, because I just, I wasn't sure what you were doing. And because when I was doing that run, again, it, was, it wasn't the kilometers that you were doing, but it was like, I, I understand, I have a, a, a better understanding, I think, than the average person of what you were putting yourself through because I don't think people can comprehend. People can comprehend, but they can't understand what it is like to run an ultramarathon every day. Um, Man, it's, and it's so true. Like, And between the DMs that I got every day when I was running, like, there's a distinct difference between the type of people, neither wrong or right, just different. And the difference was... For me to connect to um, people from all over the globe who are like, this is inspiring, thank you, all of the things. It's, it's like they're they're appreciating the level of physicality and also mentality that goes into investing in a project like that for sure. And then the other side of the coin, which is where you and I connected, is when I would receive messages from you, yes, that, uh, that appreciation, respect was there from both ends, but as well, like, Whenever I was running, you were also running and you were sending me videos and there's a yeah. deeper understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. There was a connection there, right? And um, yeah, and, and especially because I knew, like, because I was following it so closely, it was like I knew when you were up and when you were about and 
And again, like even if I, there was times that I wouldn't reach out, I knew that you were moving. Like I mm-hmm. knew that you were on the road somewhere um, progressing. And yeah, for me, it was something again, so little, but when you marked like that line and the road as like your pinpoint, it was like, it was pretty powerful, right? And you're going back there and starting again. I actually had this really weird thought. Actually, it wasn't weird. I don't want to use that word, but I had this really unique thought one day when, when I was doing, um, when I ended up running 202 consecutive days of half marathon, right? And then I fractured mm-hmm. my legs. So, but I remember on one of them days, it was like day 170 or something like that. And it was like, when I was doing the run, I was like, I just want this to be fucking over. Like, I, I don't want to do this. Like, I just want it. I want it. I want it to be done. And like, well, I meant like the day, like I wanted that particular run to finish. Mm-hmm. And then what I realized was that uh, like the run, it's never, it's not, I, I will never finish. It's never over. Right. It's just like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to put like a checkpoint. Like I, I will f- complete this task and then I'm going to set off again tomorrow. So it's mm-hmm. like, nothing is really ever finished. It's just like, you put a pin in it and come back to it tomorrow. I'm just going to start again tomorrow. So it's like, what is finished? The only, the only way we finish, and that's why I'm obsessed with, like I actually run past the cemetery every day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, for a lot of people, that would probably weird people out that I'm so obsessed with cemeteries and, and, like, and thinking about death. But for me, it just reminds me of like the end. Like that is the finish line, right? Like that is where we all end up. We either we're buried or we're cremated or, or something like we we die and that's when that's the finish line that is really the only true finish line and everything Mm -hmm. else is just a big pattern Mm -hmm. yeah man i i meditate every day on death like i actually i actually meditate every day on death and and welcome it and when i started doing that about a year ago um like you were saying at the beginning like the perspective shift is wild and I like to I like to deliver this this little piece of wisdom to my students. You know, what's true for me is not true for you, right? yeah. but but th- what's accurate is facts. And as yeah. you just said, like death is the finish line in this physical body. Death is the Correct. finish line, right? And so what we do between now and then is ultimately where we set our checkpoints. And when I meditate on death, I'm not meditating on watching myself die or anything morbid such as that i am contemplating my presence in the here and now and i am identifying what my checkpoints are and what i'm going to do in between then and that level of commitment and discipline to your purpose in this life to me that's the ultimate algorithm right that is the algorithm to being hyper successful present um happy you know, uh, in the flow of abundance, that is the algorithm when you can sit in that space and welcome all of the things, knowing that the finish line is up there. Yeah. But what, what you do between like right now and then that's what matters most. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I want to share your story and I don't think we've spoken about this before, but, um, uh, like my, and, and it still got to do with death, right? When I was two years old, like I'm 36 now, 37 actually, I just had a birthday. When I, when I was two years old, my mum died of an asthma attack. Okay. She was 23. So young. So I was two and my brother who I'm in business with now, the one directly under me, he was three months old. Okay. So a 23 year old mother of two dies at the age of 23, having an asthma attack, right? Tragedy. 
tragedy. And like I, uh, my dad done a great job in always like communicating. Like I always knew what had happened to her. Like I never remember a time that he sat me down and said, Hey, like, this is what happened. Like I always just knew, um, which I'm grateful for. Right. And, but like in my late teens, early twenties, like I, I grieved uh, like really late. And like every time I used to go out and drinking with my mates, like I'd end up upset and cranky because like I would, I felt like I was really hard done by because I, I was, my mother was taken away from me. Right. And it's like my, my stepmom done an amazing job raising me, but I still didn't have that. I didn't have the the connection. Like she'd done a fantastic job raising me. Like I'm internally grateful for everything that she'd done, but it still wasn't the love of a mother. Right. Mm-hmm. It was never like, I didn't have that connection with her, like, like a mother, like I missed that. Mm-hmm. And um, so late teens, early twenties, I grieved pretty hard, drugs, alcohol. Like I was just like, you know, like why me or that sort of stuff. Right. And I had this like super, a massive awakening when I was, well, I was 25, 25 or 26 when I had my first child. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I it was my daughter, she's nine years old now. And then when I held her in my arms, I had this like instant feeling. I'm like, oh, wow. Like if my mom didn't die, then this kid wouldn't exist. Mm. You know? And I was like this very clear moment in time. And I was just like, I was almost grateful for the fact that she had um, sac- almost like a sacrifice in order for me to have my family now. Right. And I was like, mm-hmm. it all made sense. And, and, and for me, it's like, there's so much beauty in tragedy um, because yeah, my kids wouldn't exist. And ultimately you and I, like this conversation would never have been manufactured if my mum didn't die there. And, mm-hmm. and there's so many moments in time between now and then that have, you know, instead of turning left, we've gone right or we've went straight and we've had a completely different directional interaction in life. So it's like, it gets a little bit crazier than that, right? It's like, so on my, me and my wife now, we tried to have kids when we we're pretty young, right? And we could, we couldn't fall naturally. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, we went through an IVF cycle. They had, we're lucky enough to have five embryos that fertilized. The first fresh embryo transfer failed. And then we had four frozen ones. So the first frozen embryo transferred was on our first year wedding anniversary, which is pretty cool, right? And that was, that was my daughter. And then the second frozen embryo transfer was actually on my mum's birthday. And that was mm-hmm. my son. So it's mm-hmm. like, we didn't choose them dates. The doctors chose them dates. We're up to how my wife was, the hormones, et cetera, et cetera. So it was pretty cool when all these um, really important milestones were having other important milestones on top of them. And, and you know, ultimately none of them would have happened if my mum didn't die. And, and, and I think there's so much beauty in every tragic event. We just have to be open and willing and conscious enough to look for it. Uh, and it's not going to happen after one year. In for, for my case, it happened 20 years later, you know, mm. or even longer. So it's like at some stage, there's going to be beauty if you're just conscious enough to be able to look for it and, and open for it. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that story, man. That's, um, yeah, yeah I, I actually believe, you know, souls, they like they, they choose their path, right? I, I like to think of it as souls hanging out at a bus stop and then yeah. the bus arriving and them knowing the path or the contracts that they're choosing in this life, jumping on the bus to the destination. And I believe there's some wisdom and some connectivity, and this is directly correlated with the power that I believe women and the feminine have, is that instant connection of the soul of the baby choosing that mother, right? And 
what happens in the process, even in the intentional commitment of conceiving a child. Like for some of us, uh, if we can reflect back on when we conceived our children, even when you were first beginning to try, you and your wife, yeah, right? Yeah. You're intentional about the practice. It's not a, it's not a we're having sex and I'm just going to come inside of you and you, whatever. It's yeah. like this is an intentional practice. And I, I believe it's directly linked. All of it is directly linked to that very moment that the soul goes, I'm choosing that mother. And there's a lot of power in that because women have this phenomenal gift that none of none of us can do as men in in bringing life into the world like through their physical bodies it's a very very spiritual moment and you know when a soul chooses that that divine feminine to bring it the mother's soul knows as well and so in in regards to your story you know your mother's soul knew all of this before it happened And, and this is where the beauty is is her her soul knowing that you've gotten to this place right now in this present yeah. moment of being like, there was beauty in that. If my mother yeah. hadn't have died, I wouldn't have done all this. And she knew yeah. that. Yeah, 100%. Um, and and to, to add on to like the, the birth or, or bringing that, that life into the world is like, it, I see it as well in like gender reveals, right? Like I'm seeing guys that get upset when they find out they're having a, I think we spoke about this last week. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It makes, it, it's, it's sort of really odd to me that that someone to get upset about having a girl, and it's um it's the same as when like guys joke about like their wife or partner having a C section rather than natural birth. You know, it's like oh, I I don't want it to have a natural birth because of you know it'll never be the same. It's like, dude, you're a fucking moron, mate. You're a moron. <laughs> it's crazy that like an, it's crazy that there's an like that uh, you can be an adult and have like a like such a fucking small mindset around, you know, something as beautiful as, as birth, like it's fucking magical. Right. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Actually talking about that uh, and it, it, it changes the subject a little bit, but it, um, I referred back to it. Like the, the analogy that I use is birth. So like it is kind of an example, but it's like, it's really interesting to me that we can go through these different times in life that are really joyful and like very memorable. It's like, like a childbirth, right? It's like, I, I can remember all my four kids being born naturally. Um, and at that time you would think that there's not a moment that you would ever forget, right? It's like Mm -hmm. a very, very important moment. But saying that, you know, there's like, I'd have to sort of sit down and really think about that now. Like, it seems crazy, but it's like, such an important part of my life like the the moments in that window of time and them hours of that labor i've kind of forgotten about right and mm-hmm. it's just like just like the the pain points like them really challenging really down um hard moments in life that you think that you're never going to forget because you think that you're never going to get through it over time you forget about it and a run is another example of that there would have been days of, during the run that you're like fuck i can i, I don't think i'm ever going to get out of this like this is never gonna um, and then you've forgotten about it so it's like the thing that re- that really um reminded me is, is like it doesn't matter how painful it is it doesn't matter how beautiful or powerful it is over time you're gonna forget you know the the small details in both of them events so it's like time heals everything and, and, and it doesn't matter how important it is or, or how painful it is, it, you, we forget about it, like mm. at least the small details. 
I think, yeah, time, time definitely heals everything if you're conscious about the integration piece. And yeah. just to refer to your, your piece, which I resonate with as well, I've got four children and, you know, those moments or that, those moments that they were brought into the world, two, three were natural, one was C-section, two different women. Um, I, I remember the moment holistically. I don't remember the fine detail uh, apart yeah. from one, my, my um, youngest daughter, Willow. And um, what, I, what I really appreciate about not remembering the detail is remembering the moment as being powerful seeing what was actually happen happening and then integrating those lessons on my level of understanding right this this gift of women birthing and then the intensity the energy the emotion the power that is present in that moment and going holy shit and then when i go into my life i'm integrating that exact lesson every time and so even now uh, for both of us, we're at a point where we remember the moment, we don't remember the detail, but we've integrated the lessons and therefore that is what we have become as well. And yeah. there were so many moments in the run, and I've actually been thinking about this so much over the last week, like having having vivid like recollections of things that had happened on the run. And I remember a few days just being like, fuck this, like, this is horrible. Like, I yeah. don't want to be doing this. And still pushing through, now I'm in a season of my life where if I hadn't have been through those moments, I'd probably be saying the same thing right now. There's a, there's a yeah. high risk that I would break down, burn out. I'd be having a lot of dissonance in my relationships and all the things, but I'm like, no, I remember this moment. I remember do this. You reckon, do you reckon that's because like during them really challenging times, like say, you know, you're here and you've pushed through that and now you're there. So like your reference point or yeah, your reference point is like way further than like a lot of people. And then when you come back to normal life, we're still playing inside that reference point. Is that, is that kind of like what it is? Like you push past what you thought you could achieve. You put a flag in, you know, what is way down the road and now you're still playing inside that flag. Is it a reference point thing? Yeah. And it's experience? a, it's a sliding scale and I don't mean this negatively at all. It's just facts and what it is, is when you make these huge jumps in evolution, whether it's like psychologically, physically, emotionally, whatever it is, when you make these huge jumps, you come back to the space. It's, it's the same as when we were cavemen and someone left the tribe to go hunt, search, journey. They come back to the tribe and they give the information. But the tribe hasn't been to the flag. They don't know yeah. what's at the flag. So all they know is what's in camp. And this is epigenetics. The environment will still signal you to behave the way that the tribe is behaving, even though yeah. you know you've been to the reference point and come back yeah. to be part of the tribe. The environment will still signal you to behave in that way. And this is neither wrong nor right. It's just basic evolution and epigenetics. And what I find is when I go out to the flag and come back, I set up like I set up strategic accountability tools that keep me focusing on the frequency of the flag, not the present moment or not, sorry, correction, not the present moment, but like not the, the actual frequency of the whole tribe. And what I mean by that is I know some things I've come back, I've shared, 
we're all moving towards the flag at a certain speed, but I need to be stern and disciplined and accountable in my actions in leading the tribe to the flag, knowing that all of the tribe are experiencing the same things I did prior to reaching the flag. Yeah. Uh, And And, uh, I think that reinforces like how important that tribe is, you know, how important like the, the caliber of that tribe is, because if you're with a really small caliber tribe, then your perceptions are going to like mirror that, right? And it's a little bit like what I was talking about at the start of the conversation when we're talking about cold. It's like if we if I, we sit down with a tribe and we all agree that this is cold or the, the tribe leader says it's cold, so then we all fall in line with that perception. Like we can, if we're not careful, we can limit like what we think is cold or change our perception of what is cold because we could we could all agree it's cold and then someone from Alaska or someone from Russia or someone that is exposed to cold they're like hey this isn't cold what are you talking about mm. but it, but if we're not careful like we'll just we'll we'll adopt the perception of our peers um mm-hmm. there's another thing that just when you when you're talking about like you leave the tribe and go and hunt and gather, there's an amazing book called um, Understanding Women. And I forget the author, but she's an amazing narrator. Um, and the way that she put this book together is incredible. And and she was explaining like about cavemen, women, right? That's who we are. Like, like that's where we come from. Uh, we're hunter gatherers, females, are, you know, they, they ponder through the gardens and through the bush looking for berries, you know? Um, and she said like, as a the women used to like the details for women are like super important, right? It's like mm-hmm. um, when they when they're in the tribe and they go, it's like, hey, like they might communicate to one of the other women in the tribe and say, look, we're looking for the berries. You need to go down to the creek, go up the creek till you see the second eucalyptus tree. At the eucalyptus tree, turn right, go up the bank. You'll see a, a raspberry bush. Do not touch that raspberry bush. It's poison. Go past that. You'll see a rock that looks like a frog. Over the back of the rock, you'll see a blueberry tree. Not that blueberry tree, okay? Don't touch that one. That one's poison as well. Go to the left, and then you see the blueberry tree down near the creek bed. Grab them, bring all the berries back. You got mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, you know the time when your missus says, hey, I'm making spag, like spag bowl for dinner. I don't have any pasta sauce. I, what Can you go down the supermarket and get some? Not just the pasta sauce, but it's in all four. It's on the left-hand side, okay? Not the one that's near your shoulder. It's the one near your knee, okay? But it's got like a yellow label, but not, not, not the yellow riding one. Don't get that one. That's not the one I want. I want the one with the yellow label. It's got like mm-hmm. a gold lid. Um, but a gold lid with a silver stroke through it. Like, you know, one of them times, like, <laughs> just, I'll just get the fucking pasta sauce. It doesn't matter, yeah? But from her, it's like her role in that she wants to provide for you, right? She wants mm-hmm. to like cook the most abundant meal for you. And and if you don't get the right pasta sauce, it's going to fucking ruin the whole spaghetti bolognese. Mm-hmm. Just like if you grab the wrong blueberries, it's going to fucking poison the tribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And it's like, <laughs> when I heard that story, I'm like, wow, because like m- my wife does that all the time, right? I'm like, I'll just get any fucking pasta sauce. It doesn't matter. But for them, it's like they, 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 it's everything because they're mm. going to fucking poison the family if you don't get the right one. Mm. And the polarity of that is men go out and hunt. Now, there's still a little bit of detail, but the detail is more like, like the detail is more macro than it is micro. If we're going out and hunt, we're gathering the men, the, the boys coming into manhood, and we're going out and hunting. We're prioritizing staying alive first and foremost because when you're outside the tribe and you're in a smaller group, the potential to become prey is quite high. So we're prioritizing staying alive. And then we're also prioritizing getting a kill so that we can take the food back to the tribe. Now, once we find the animal, it could be any animal in this, 
in this reference, it could be any animal. We will kill the animal. We will like field dress, whatever it is. And then we take the meat back to the tribe and we all eat. There's not as much detail involved. Now it's the macro versus micro and it can come into parenting as well, which is why I bring this point up because I was thinking about it as you said it. Uh, mothers specifically are in the finer detail of parenting, especially nowadays, at least uh, my wife is, and I imagine yours is too, is the finer detail of parenting. And as men, we have the honor and privilege of being able to follow that lead. If my son is is emotionally stimulated, I can see his nervous systems just shot for the day. And so he's having these emotional outbursts. That's not him trying to, you know, put up a coup and rebel against. No, not at all. He's just his nervous system so fried. But for me, my my mind goes to, all right, comfort, nurture my son, but get him from here to here. Where my wife is like, oh, he's had a big day. He may not have eaten. He may be needing a hug or some time. Or like she goes into the detail. Yeah. And I never used to be of that that caliber of man. Like I never used to be. And, and my wife stepped into that space a lot earlier than I did. And I've had the privilege of being able to follow her lead with that. And I picked up, I've heard that story from that book before, and I picked up the exact same thing in, oh, the detail is her role. Like that's what she brings to the tribe. Her role is in the detail, it's in the medicine, it's in the work. And we have the the privilege of being able to follow that lead as men, just the same way it swings, the scale swings and they get to follow us in a different way on a macro level as well. Yeah. I think um, the... and. it's really cool that you could identify that, right? And, and, I, and I imagine like if your kid is in an environment where there's a lot of exterior noise, like maybe their diet you know, isn't amazing or they, they spend a lot of time on screens or in front of the TV, it's really hard to sort of dissect and understand that like exactly what you just said. It's like, like he's had a big day or, you know, like he's a bit off because there's so many other um, environmental factors in that. Like uh, there's uh, so many kids that you wouldn't, like that are completely socially awkward, right? And it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's just because they've never been exposed to it or they're never getting exposed to it. And all of a sudden they're nine, 10, 11 years old and they don't know how to talk to, you know, someone at the counter. And um, I think that, yeah, the more third party or the more noise they have from exterior, from from devices is far more challenging to be able to try to identify what might be going on with someone as opposed to like, they're just being naughty. Because I know my boys, for example, it's like, Sometimes I can see it, right? It, um, it, they're not being naughty because they want to be naughty. It's because there's no, there's nothing engaging going on. Like we might be just going through our day doing chores, running errands. And they're like, what the fuck are we doing? I'm in and out of the car all day. Like there's, there's nothing to engage. There's nothing that, that excites me. And then, mm. you know, when they're bored or they, they don't know how to spend their energy, you know, they, they start, you know, backing up or that they might be, you know, chucking sort of tantrum. They're just trying to deal with their emotions. But, um, I think a lot of it is from a lack of, um, at least for me, that I've identified with my children, a lack of, um, it's not even engagement. It's like a, a lack of, um, a lack of direction of where to spend their energy sometimes. But um, it's a feedback loop. And this, this is the difference between adults and children. Adults think that they know, but children yeah. know they don't know and they're willing to learn. As adults and generalising, not every adult's like this, but as adults, we think that we know, and if we throw that stimulus out there f- to engage in the feedback loop, if it comes back and we receive stimulus back, 
we then go, I'm going to decide whether you're right or wrong or whether I believe that. Where yeah. children work on a feedback loop of give and receive, this stimulus, and if the environment isn't satiating their hunger for learning, they will look for different ways to learn. You know, if a child is um, expressing themselves emotionally and it's fairly energetic, they're not doing it, as you say, to be naughty or to chuck a tantrum. They're in that feedback loop of wanting to learn, wanting to gather information, and they've not, they've not had it met at the surface level. And so they're searching for other ways. And this is more common in siblings, right? If, if siblings raise together, let's say two or three of them, and they're two years apart, each sibling will observe and identify the feedback loop for the older sibling. And then they're yeah. going to go integrate that and practice that, which is why more often than not, if uh, one of the children is getting more attention, the one underneath will, or even the other way, the other children will act out, quote unquote. I don't want to use that yeah. too often, but, yeah. um, to get that attention because they've just yeah. seen that the other one is. And yeah. children are the, the greatest students because they're always wanting to learn and get that information to finalize that feedback loop. And once they get it and they nail it, They'll continue going. And this is what's really potent about um, celebrating your children with, with anything and everything that they learn is you're reinforcing the process that they just went through. If your child, yeah. um, I'm working with my son at the moment around developing um, his presence when eating at the table, how he engages with his food, how he engages with the environment. There's a few little uh pieces that I'm teaching him as when he finishes eating, he stops and says, dad, may I please leave the table? And I say, of yeah. course you can. And then he'll, and then he'll say, if it's mom or dad, thank you for cooking. And then he'll yeah. take his plate up and it's part of the process. Yeah. Now, when he finishes, I used to go into this moment, having deja vu right now, but used to go into this moment where I'd say, good boy. That yeah. was fantastic. What I come to understand, that good boy isn't finalizing that feedback loop. That's me telling him that my standards were met, yeah. where if I can instill in him the thing that he's just learned, gone through that feedback loop and come back and praise him in a new way that really lands in his body, he's going to repeat that process because he's finalized the loop. And so I'm always cautious about how I engage and I get picked up a lot. My wife picks me up a lot, which is fantastic. Um, but really present in that process of, of finalizing that loop so that he can learn the thing that he's wanting to learn and yeah. not, not learn it from I've met dad's standard, but like, Oh, I've just learned something really incredible and it made me feel good. Yeah. I think, um, like, I don't mean this to sound um, bad or anything like that, but I think one of the advantages as well, raising, like, like we both got four kids, like, you know, if, if you compare, like, a family with four kids against a family with one one kid, it's like th that one kid can have a huge amount of attention, right? I think sometimes mm -hmm. too much attention. And one of the advantages that I've noticed um, as my kids have started to age is, like, physically, I don't have, the time to give and deliver like everyone and even amount of attention always right this uh -huh. is physically not enough time and i think that's actually helpful because um they think for themselves they can be become resilient they can sort of help out their other siblings the older kids can help out mom with the younger kids and they can start thinking for the other kids as well it's like like we're about to get in the car and the youngest kid doesn't have his shoes on you know my my daughter can identify that and help out so 
I think there's actually like a, a lot of advantages in having like bigger families because um, your energy just can't be spent. Like they, they get, again, like I don't mean it to sound bad, but they get less attention. And I mm-hmm. think over time that's good because um, yeah, attention's amazing. But if you're used to getting all the attention, I don't think it's healthy when you start to like enter um, workforce or, or school even, you know, um, because that's not what life is. Not, especially as an adult, for the most part, no one cares about us. Like mostly, everyone mm-hmm. cares about themselves, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's important that that you can get raised like that at an early age as well. Yeah, diligence I I believe is an underrated skill set to have. Like the utility yeah. of diligence and learnt at a, in the developmental years. So zero to twenty three is our de- developmental years. Diligence is one of those underrated, underused like mechanisms of behavior. And I've noticed that going through different environments and workforces is the one who's not diligent, forward thinking, problem solving, um, thinking two steps ahead is the one that is still stuck in that feedback loop of learning. But the ones that are, are the ones that progressively move forward um, faster. And it's not, it's not a time thing or a pace thing, but if it's nurtured at an early age in those years, it's really going to support them in moving into adulthood. It's really going to support them in their journey of autonomy and sovereignty as a human being. And so stepping into society, they're a lot more aware of their, their experience that they're having and how they see themselves in society, much rather looking for, to finalize that loop, looking for external validation to be like, oh, I am me. Okay, cool. Because you said I was me. I feel comfortable now. Like we can yeah. avoid that. Did you notice, like in the military, there was a lot of di- like. Do you, did you think there was a lot of diligence in the military, or like not so much? Because like I would assume from the outside looking in that that would be like a really um, important trait to have. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> whoever listens to this, I might offend some people, but, you know, I was in the military for 12 years. I saw a lot and I got in it, you know, I left at 16 and nine months, didn't leave training until I was 18 and then grew up in the military. And the things I know now, uh, looking back on those moments in my, in my career in the military was there was, there was two types of people and there was, two outcomes that were involved with these two types of people. The first type of person is the person who displays diligence, but they've been in there long enough and been told they're a good boy long enough that their diligence has come from a manufactured position, not a natural authentic expression. And so those people, and they could get promoted fast. If they kiss ass enough, they will. There are a lot of people who get to the the high positions because of their performance, very much so, but there's a higher percentage of kiss asses that get promoted first. Yeah. That diligence is more common than the other because the other side of diligence that comes into the military, um, which I I possess, I I possess this type of diligence, is someone who is strategic. They're a creator. If you're into human design, they're a creator um, or a generator. And that more often than not rubs people up the wrong way. And I was a shit magnet. I was in a lot of trouble all the time in my career because- my speed of implementation and wanting to generate further productivity was so extreme that it would go beyond the parameters of what the section was willing to operate at. And that got me into a lot of trouble because I'd go and network within the squadron or I'd network around base. I'd create all these other avenues to increase and affect capability on a positive scale. 
but that would create negativity in the space. So I didn't get promoted as fast. In fact, the retention yeah. of people like myself, the ones that are really switched on back then, I wish, no, I don't wish. If if that had to be me, different different story would be told here, but the, the ones that uh, are not the, the shit magnets are the ones that go, you know what? I'm not being seen here. Deuces, I'm out, yeah. you know, and they will yeah. leave and the retention's yeah. a lot, lot lower. So, yeah, for me saying now, you would think that there's a lot of diligence, yeah. um, but unfortunately you will be performance punished if you show yeah, too right. much. It um, actually reminds me, um, and I spent the, the same amount of time in a coal mine, like I spent 13 years in a coal mine, and I worked for a company called Glencore, big mining company, a big worldwide mining company, and one of their core values was um, entrepreneurialism, okay? And, and the mine managers, operation managers would stand in front of us you know, all the time and say, like, these are our five values, and one of them being entrepreneurialism. Um, if we don't abide or we're not um, operating to our values, call us out on it. That's what they would always say, right? But that's not what they meant. Because mm. like an entrepreneur or entrepreneurialism to me is um, is someone that, that will push the boundaries, that will think outside the square, that will challenge, that will make mistakes, that will, you know, that's what an entrepreneur is, right? That's not what they want. Like they want mm. someone that will just comply. They want someone that's not going to think. They want someone that's not going to challenge. And they want someone um, that, that shows no entrepreneurial traits at all. But it's just really strange that there's, there's big companies that will betray a public vision or values um, and stand in front and preach them and then, yeah, not want to comply because it's one thing as a leader to say, hey, like, I want you, my team to challenge me. If you think that I'm not aligning with our values or aligning with our mission, challenge me and call mm-hmm. me out on it. Um, but it's, a, it's another thing when you do that, you get banished or punished mm-hmm. for it. Um, and I'd imagine they're very similar things in, in, especially in the military when their ranks and the situational status is so high. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck, Will, you can't talk like that to your senior person. <laughs> it's like, what, you can't. And you I'm can't having flashbacks. Sit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I imagine too, right? So, like, as again, I'm just going to guess, but like, if your senior person is here, there's no fucking way in the world you can go above them because you're breaking mm-hmm. fucking every rule. So, it's mm-hmm. like, just fucking stand in line and talk when I'm fucking ready for you to talk. And there's no growth in that, right? Because we all have, this is what I love about humans. Like we all have so many different ideas. And, and as a whole, we, we can all yeah, troubleshoot things, right? It's like, hey, I don't actually think that's a good idea. What about if we do that? Or what about if we do this? And it's the same as opinions. Like I know you and I have spoken about this before. It's like I have really strong opinions at, at, a, at a lot of different random topics, but it's not, not so strong that I can't have a conversation with you and you bring new information to the table. And I'm like, oh, wow, like I never even actually knew that or I didn't think about that. That's really cool. And then now my, percep- my perception or my opinion has changed. And I think that a lot of people can get stuck in um, having an opinion and they're, they're worried that if they change it, then it's going to take away from their character. And I mm-hmm. think it does the absolute opposite. Um and the way that I even explain it is like, if I have a favorite color, say my favorite color is blue, okay? And you know that my favorite color is blue. Um, and I tell everyone my favorite color is blue. And then over time, as I grow, my, my color changes to red. My new favorite color is red. But I'm afraid to let anyone know because I used to tell everyone it's, it, it was blue. And, and I think that the people that won't change or won't be vocal about that, because I'm afraid to tell you that my new color is red in fear that you're going to think that I'm a liar or mm. I have no character. Mm. And, and I think that it's natural that we can change our opinions, um, change our favors because that's a, it's an, to me, it's a, it's a marker of growth. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And this is part of the, the conversation of conditioning. Some people might know it as indoctrination. Like we come from specific walks of life where we've learned a series of lessons that we now apply in our own realities and they may or may not be aligned with who we are or what our authentic self is. And this level of conditioning um, involves obedience or compliance, right? Two elements, they, they involve obedience or compliance in the way that um, if you don't do X, you will not be a part of X, right? If you can't do this, you will not be a part of it. And then if you can't be, there's this other secret little element that um, is everywhere in life, specifically um, marketing and, and those types of things. It's called nudging, right? You, you ever walk into a, the gas stations now, right? You walk into a, a gas station and the first thing you see as you walk in the door is all the goodies you can buy before you go purchase your fuel, right? Yeah. And it's nudging. They are suggesting to you to do this thing. That's the first way to get people into that level of obedience. And the fear around not being obedient is the thing that challenges the identity that we believe ourselves to be. If we believe ourselves to be this specific type of person because I'm, I'm a great contributor to society, I follow all the rules, all of the things, and you believe that that's the reward, you're cutting yourself short and you're not allowing yourself to fully express who you are by living outside of those parameters of obedience and compliance. Entrepreneurs live outside of those parameters. They may they yeah. will turn $2 into $100. They'll break themselves getting there. But once they yeah. get there, they'll go back and share it with the rest. Like that's, that's what that is. Now, if you go to the military is a fantastic example of obedience and compliance. If you don't abide or obey what I say, you will not be reported on well, you won't get promoted. Doesn't mean yeah. they'll kick you out. It just means that that's what it is. So if you're willing to be on that path, go ahead and do your thing. Yeah. So I'm always limited with how I can express myself because I'm scared of not obeying. Is this wrong or right? Well, that's up to the person to decide. But if you go to a yoga class, right? Still obedience, still compliance, because the instructor up the front is guiding you to get into a position. Now, if you're in a yoga class and you can't do a downward dog because you're in pain, but you're going to attempt it anyway, like, is it still obedience? Is it still compliance? Well, that's where the person gets to decide there. And it's like two ends of the scale. But if we're living inside of that, where we're not expressing ourselves authentically, this is where we can communicate. This is where we can, you know, do things that scare us a little bit. If I can't get into downward dog and I'm in a class full of 30 people and I'm right up the front, people can see me. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this the best fucking crack I can. I'm going to look like an idiot yeah. doing it. But yeah. the exploration of living outside of my comfort zones have far more benefits than they do if I just stay in that obedience and compliance lane. Yeah, 100% dude. Uh, another amazing chat, big dog. Um, le- let's leave it there and we'll put a pin in it, mate, and we'll come back. Um, I love that. Wh- wh- where can everyone find you, Willie? Well, what are we at? Instagrams. What's your best channels? Yeah, Instagrams are best at themind.mechanic. Yeah, awesome. And uh, grab me underscore Courtney underscore Joyce. And what about our name? You like our name? We didn't really The talk Mind about Factory. That. I love it. Yeah, yeah I love it. Really cool. And I think too, it's like, uh, again, like what I wanted to get out of these conversations was like us manufacturing thoughts and ideas and, you know, where do you manufacture things? You manufacture them in a factory, right? So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's really, really cool. So legend brother, you have a wonderful day. Um, It's a pleasure to chat to you as always. And um, we'll talk really soon. All right, my man. Talk soon. See you, bro. Peace. Peace.